This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. A collection of 44 states have filed a lawsuit against 20 pharmaceutical companies saying they conspired to inflate generic drug prices, in some instances, by more than a thousand percent. The complaint says while drug companies have discreetly engaged with each other on pricing for a long time, it escalated in 2012 into, quote, one of the most egregious and damaging price-fixing conspiracies in the history of the United States, end quote. Teva Pharmaceuticals USA has been accused of orchestrating the scheme, which included stifling competition and preventing price declines. Soaring drug prices has been one of the few issues received by bipartisan criticism in Washington, D.C. Teva has responded saying, quote, it has not engaged in any conduct that would lead to civil or criminal liability, end quote, and that it plans to fight the lawsuit. With more, joined in studio by Robert Field, Professor of Law and Professor of Health Management and Policy at Drexel University. He's also a lecturer in the Wharton School's Healthcare Management Department. And also joining us on the phone, Stacey Dusitzina, who is an Associate Professor of Health Policy, as well as Associate Professor of Cancer Research at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Rob, great to see you again. Thanks. Stacy. great to have you with us. Thank you. Good Th- morning. Thank you. So, Stacy, as what is seemingly laid out uh, in this suit and what we have read in the various reportings, it appears that, that we have quite a version of collusion going on here. Yes, it does. Um, it, it's very concerning to um, see the allegations against these companies related to um, price fixing and these agreements being made to split the market up rather than to let the market function as it should. Rob? Yeah. Um, I, I think what's particularly discouraging here is we rely on generics to control prices. Uh, we're the only developed country that doesn't have the government control the prices, and so we think the market, free market competition will play that role. And free market competition generally means generics because they don't have the patents. Now we're seeing that that market isn't functioning, and if that's not functioning, what control do we have? And, and I think there's an expectation that when a drug kind of runs through its patent time and you end up with generics on the market, that there is a little bit more of cost certainty and maybe an ease on costs in the generic community, correct? That is the theory. We're seeing an assault on two sides. One is the mechanisms that the branded companies use to extend their patent terms, uh, testing on children, uh, collusion sometimes with the generic companies to keep the generics off the market, uh, all sorts of legal loopholes that they have, adding additional patents for packaging and dosage and so forth. Um, And now we're seeing the generic companies uh, not competing the way they're supposed to. Uh, So the theory is uh, a patent lasts 20 years, and after that, the market decides, and in practice, that's not happening. Stacy, the, the New York Attorney General, uh, Letitia James, called the scope of this breathtaking. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting that you can see from national trends in spending on generic drugs just how impactful this may have been, where you do see giant price spikes in the generic drug spending in about 2012 and 2013. I think that that suggests that the scope of what was happening was quite large. And, you know, I'd like to go back to one of the points that Rob made. You know, this is really the way that we are trying as a society to deal with spending on prescription drugs. 
one of the key ways we talk about bringing down spending on drugs is to have robust generic marketplaces and have the price come down eventually. So this is a huge violation of the social contract between patients and these companies where we expect this to work. And in fact, we're seeing that it's not working because of the market really working against consumers. Yeah, I would also point out that the law in this area is crystal clear. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sherman Act uh, outlaws collusion among competitors, and price fixing is perhaps the greatest sin that you can commit in terms of colluding. And that's exactly what we have here. So what are we looking at as potential penalties for these companies? I mean, fines are one thing, but this almost seemingly feels like it's in need of more than just a monetary penalty because of what's been going on here. Yeah, we're seeing that in many spheres. Uh, Apple getting hit w with uh, with fines. Uh, yeah. The European Union uh, imposing fines uh, of the billions of dollars. And it's really just a cost of doing business. Uh, a few individuals have been sued uh, in addition to the companies, not criminally, they couldn't go to jail, but they could have to personally pay fines. Uh, but in the long run, it's going to have to be something with more teeth. What about the consumers, Stacey, who over the years have obviously been monetarily hit by this? Well, I don't think that there would be any recouping of those costs for the people who've been overpaying for their drugs. But hopefully, this lawsuit and legal actions could uh, prevent this from happening in the future because, you know, we know that over recent years, health insurance benefits have changed in a way that consumers are paying more of these costs out of pocket when they fill their drugs. So price increases can hit them directly in the pocketbook, mm -hmm. but it also can increase insurance premiums. And that's hard to see it go back down. It's one of those things, you know, where it keeps going up. Um, whether or not it would return to lower levels, unlikely, uh, given trends in spending on drugs uh, more broadly. Yeah. As, as Stacy said, this we see in insurance premiums. So basically all of us paid for this price-fixing conspiracy, yeah. and I don't think we're going to get any money back. No. Teva is at the heart of this, Rob, or at least they are noted as being at the heart of this. Give us a scope of how they are marked as kind of the, the lead in this problem. Yeah, so um, the allegations are they were the ringleaders in 2012. They initiated this plan, and they identified uh, the key competitors that they needed to collude with. So it wasn't just all companies. Right. Uh, and then uh, the Teva CEO approached them and spoke about allocating the market so they wouldn't be directly competing. He also came up with the scheme to avoid written evidence, uh, so there were no uh, written documents. It was done on golf courses and, and through texts and through phone calls and so forth. Uh, so they really were the, the ringleaders. Stacy. Yeah, I mean, just hearing the, the context in which these deals are being made, it's very frustrating to think about, you know, we have people who are struggling to take medications because they yep. can't afford them, and they're hoping that they can get an affordable option through a generic, yet we have people meeting on golf courses and over nice dinners to discuss price fixing in a way that harms consumers, and I think it's unconscionable. The, now, there have been other instances, from what I read, Stacy, uh, of suits similar, but we're talking about 44 states that have come together, and obviously that is a, a, a majority of the United States, where obviously you have people probably in all 50 states that have been impacted by the, these pricing issues. 
Absolutely. And one thing that I, I wasn't sure of, and, and maybe this is something that Rob knows, is why are other states missing? Um, it yeah. seems that they made a heroic effort to get many states on board, but it was curious to me that some states weren't uh, signed on. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what, what the politics there are. Um, they might eventually sign on. Uh, 44 is uh, obviously a very high percentage. Um, they're looking at the model of the tobacco litigation and the opioid litigation. Uh, right. uh, multiple jurisdictions come together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those six states uh, signed on uh, as proceedings uh, progressed. Well, it's it's not only just the prices, Rob, that, that people are paying for these drugs, but then there has to be impact, I, I would think, on, on the premiums that people are paying at some point. And, and just the overall economic impact, as Stacy alluded to before, of people not being able, in instances, to to pay for the drugs that they need to be able to deal with the variety of conditions. So the pricing is one part of this, but like many other instances, you have so many tentacles that are kind of coming off of this one main problem. Right. Well, some of the defenders of the companies have said that this is a, barely a drop in the bucket of healthcare costs. If you're looking at $3.5 trillion a year, uh, generics are, are a tiny, tiny slice of that. But for the people who depend on those drugs. Uh, that can be life or death. That can be financial ruin or financial stability. Right. Um, and there is really no magic bullet or magic cannonball that's going to take a gigantic slice out of our health care spending. Right. Uh, we're going to have to look at, at little solutions here and there. Uh, so we're talking about a lot of suffering by patients. Uh, we're talking about was basically a hidden tax that all of us are paying through our premiums and through higher costs to the government for, for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and we're talking about a threat to the integrity, really, of our, of our market system. Uh, we rely on antitrust laws to keep the market honest, to keep it as a level playing field. Yeah. And if industries can get away with this, uh, then we really don't have a market. But, but Stacy, even in an industry where the costs are soaring the way that they are, being able potentially to be able to get a handle on this part of the problem and see if there's a way to to control the cost spending on generics, Rob alludes to it being a small percentage of the market, still you're taking one step towards maybe correcting a lot of larger problems within the system as a whole. That's right. I think that there are a couple of things there. One is that it's kind of on principle. It may be a small part of the market, but it is you know, a market that we really want to be functioning well because it is you know, most drugs that are dispensed in the U.S. are generic drugs. So we need to receive those savings when generics come onto the market to help to make treating diseases more affordable over time. Um, but I think that it really is a statement as well about how these companies are behaving and what, you know, what is acceptable in this marketplace. Because we see this happening in the generic industry, we also know that even among some branded products, there have been suspicious-looking lockstep price increases. So just because it's happening in one area, it's not totally clear it's not happening in other parts of the drug right. uh, system. So does it mean then that w we will potentially see a greater examination of the entire kind of drug-making system, do you think? It's possible. And I, you know, I think the other thing that would be worthwhile is considering how we're tracking drug price increases. So right now we have pretty delayed data where we don't know for a couple of years what has been going on um, with spending on prescription drugs. 
And we also have different ways that people group drugs, like most commonly used drugs or all of the drugs. If we had a good handle on what was happening on individual level drugs as far as their real price increases, we could probably pinpoint some of these concerning patterns earlier and start to intervene. And also just knowing that there was this level of information available for monitoring, I think may hopefully help to prevent these types of things from happening in the future. This is also a politically very opportune time to be delving into this. Uh, We have everyone from Elizabeth Warren to Donald Trump saying that we've got to do something about drug pricing. And now we find out that the cornerstone of our price controls, which is generic competition, is not functioning. Uh, So I think you add this to the mix, and there's a chance we'll get some actual action in Congress. Well, that was going to be my next question, because, as you said, this has been, and it's going to be a a, a very important talking point on the road to the 2020 presidential election about what you do with health care costs and drug prices moving forward. And... While I don't expect anything to happen going up till that election, whoever is in office come January of 2021, we may very well see that person put that at the top of their agenda. Yeah, I think it's going to be part of the debate uh, in the presidential election next year. Um, I think until then and maybe even after then, the question is, are we going to see a Band-Aid or are we going to see a fundamental rethinking of the way we get a handle on costs? Um, Are we going to stick with the same system, uh, the patents and the generics, which seems to be pretty severely broken, or are we going to look at something else more like the European model of having the government more actively regulate the prices in one way or another. But does this potentially, in your mind, does this potentially open the door on something else that we've talked about just in general, the cost of health care overall? Does this kind of open the door to lead us to have that greater discussion? Yeah, it, it should. But you have so many strong interests uh, that are contributing to this, all of the different uh, provider groups, um, the financers, the insurance. Um, If we go after them one by one, they're each going to get their hackles up and and, and fight back. So to tackle all of health care costs is going to be a pretty tall order for right now. Uh, What this may do is incentivize us to come up with a model for the drug piece of it, and perhaps that can spread more widely. Stacy, Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that one of the things that's important here is that we do need to address this problem with generics, but we don't want it to distract us from some of the larger problems with branded drugs without generics, uh, where we see a lot of uh, really uncontrolled spending, growth, and um, really concerning trends. So I think it's important that we try to use this to think about how our system could function better across the entire spectrum from the time the drugs come onto the market through generic entry. Um, And I completely agree that, you know, all of healthcare spending is going, would be even harder to tackle, but it's really important to think about how do we balance reforms that, you know, don't, focus only on one actor in the system, uh, recognizing the importance of prescription drugs for people's health. Um, But, you know, I think there's only so much that we can ask of a Congress uh, at one time. And pharmaceuticals is not the area where we've seen collusion. Uh, We've seen it between insurance companies and hospitals, between hospitals and hospitals. There's a long uh, history of antitrust enforcement in this area. 
we faced a debate in this country for over half a century, is healthcare market good or is it a basic necessity that the government has an obligation to provide? And we keep going back to the market good side and we keep seeing the system break here and there and we keep putting on band-aids to try to fix this and that. Um, I think if we're really going to do something serious, uh, the government is already deeply involved through funding uh, over half of our system. Right. Uh, it's going to have to be more direct and not passively thinking the market's going to work when we now know that in many ways it doesn't. Stacey, when you, going back to the, 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 the generic issue for a second, when you think about any given day you know, here in the United States right now, is what percentage, if you know roughly, uh, of use of medicines is generic compared to what would be, I guess, branded drugs? So I think that the estimates are over 80 to 90 percent of drugs that are dispensed are generic drugs. And also the diseases that are treated by generic drugs are really common things uh, like hypertension. Uh, diabetes also has a lot of generic drugs. You know, so chronic diseases are the, the diseases we treat with a lot of generic medications. Um, for branded drugs, we spend a lot more money on those products, and we spend a lot of money in the specialty drug space, uh, so complex disease areas. But generic drugs are, by and large, what is being dispensed in pharmacies today. And, and so then that brings up the profitability issue, I would think, with a lot of these companies, when you know you're making you know, tenfold on branded drugs and you're not making that on the generic drugs, you want to try and bring the other one up to kind of at least get close to meeting it if you're if you're the CEO of, of one of these companies. Yeah, it's an important part of um, thinking about a well-functioning generic drug market is what's the right price. Uh, so we don't want to underpay for generic drugs. We do pay low prices for generic drugs generally, right. um, but you don't want to pay so little that companies don't have any incentive at all to be in the market. We've seen that as a potential issue when we uh, look at drug shortages, for example. Sometimes that is a result of companies leaving the market because they can't make profit. So you do have to balance you know, wanting really low prices for generics, but also wanting enough competitors in the market. And, of course, all those competitors behaving as we hope that they will yeah. and that they're actually competing with each other. Yeah. In a way, it's a fundamentally different business model, the generics and the branded. Generics are a much lower margin business. Yeah. Uh, they don't invest in research. They use the research that's been done already, and then they rely on the volume. Uh, Stacy was talking about some of the chronic conditions. Those are conditions that million, tens of millions of people have, so there are huge markets built in. Uh, the branded companies have very substantial margins. Uh, right. They do invest in research and develop the drugs that are out there, but it's a very different mindset. But what what then is the reaction, do you think, then, Rob, of the insurance industry? Because they are, you know, on the side linked into this, because if you're talking about the, the pricing of generics being pushed up and then eventually there being an impact on premiums, 
insurance companies, I, I think, can't uh, can't be real happy that their prices are are being pushed up because of this type of activity. Yeah, I would assume that they're very supportive of this suit. But as Stacy was saying, they want to make sure that the generic industry remains viable. Sure. Uh, if those companies go out of business, then everyone's going to have to buy the the branded drugs, or we're going to have shortages or, or other kinds of problems. But in general, uh, I would imagine that they are very supportive of this. Stacy, uh, Rob mentioned before uh, the, the the government and how it's done in, in Europe. Is there an element where our government should be involved in this? It, it's an interesting question. And I, in some ways, um, this has been proposed pretty recently um, that the government should start to manufacture uh, drugs, for example, in areas of shortage um, for products or where generic competition isn't working well. Um, that idea has been um, not very well supported, I think, because it is difficult to manufacture drugs and to set up manufacturing facilities. Right. And, and so we don't necessarily want that role falling to the government. There are some not-for-profit groups um, that have started up pretty recently. Civica Rx is one that has been um, partnering with hospitals to try to generate um, or meet demand for drugs that are in shortage um, at, with the idea of having a low, uh, very minimal cost drug that they're producing. They're a not-for-profit group. So I think that there are some other alternatives that could come on board. It's hard to think that the government um, should step in at this stage, but this lawsuit and the scope of this problem um, gives a lot of fuel to the fire for people who think that the government should uh, start manufacturing drugs. Rob? Yeah, I, I don't think the government actually manufacturing drugs would be a great idea. And that's not the way it works in most European countries. Right. What you see is the government more actively controlling the prices. Right. Um, so for the government to step in, I think, would be more to work with the patent laws, the exclusivity laws, to see that patents don't go on indefinitely, and then to work with the generic market to make sure that it's more stable. Uh, what Stacy was mentioning, the uh, nonprofit generic companies that the hospital industry has been working with, right. that's a possible alternative where the different groups uh, that directly uh, intersect with the pharmaceutical industry step in and try to take action. I think their uh, manufacturing by an alternative kind of company might make sense. How prevalent are those companies right now? They're just getting off the ground. It's, it's basically a, a new idea. Uh, time will tell, uh, but it is an exciting idea. Stacy, how, how important could those types of companies be moving forward here? Well, I think they could be really important. One of the challenges for those companies, though, is that they would have to be able to break into the uh, big PBMs to be able to start offering drugs that are dispensed in pharmacies. So right now what you see is that their business model are um, that they have contracts with hospitals where they can deliver physician-administered drugs. So it's in the hospital's financial interest to engage with them and get these low prices. We know there's a lot of complexity in um, the pharmacy benefits managers and the arrangements that are going on uh, for drugs dispensed in pharmacies, where it seems like it would be harder for them to uh, break into that market. Sometimes the lowest price product isn't the ideal product for um, the PBMs, for example, at least the, uh, the drugs with no margins for right. them. Great having you with us today, Stacey. Thank you for your insight. Look forward to talking to you again. 
Thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. Great seeing you as always. Thanks. Same here. Thank you. Rob Field from uh, Drexel University and also a lecturer here at the Wharton School, Stacey Dusitzina at Vanderbilt University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.